Thank you for allowing me to adjust some papers while you say hello to one another. I just, I, I know that the worship team is going to come up and lead a song at the end, and I didn't want to mess Mandy's papers up too much. So, is she in the room? Oh, there you are. Yeah. So I just wanted to do that with due diligence and care. Nathan told me if she's provoked, she's she's a lot to handle. Actually, he never said that. I know you're surprised, right? Uh, really, in the way of announcements this morning, we just really want to focus on the weekend, just to remind you that uh, Resurrection Sunday gathering, uh, this Sunday at 1030, um, the memberships and the bank, uh, and the baptism and uh, the banquet is Sunday, April 23rd, so it's not this weekend, it's the following weekend, so we do want to remind you about that. A sign-up list was uh, put out online, and uh, we trust that that's working for you and sign up online. If, um, if you aren't able to sign up online, probably the best thing for you to do is, is uh, call the office and just let Roseanne know an old-fashioned phone call. Remember phone calls? Yeah. Old-fashioned phone call uh, and, and do that and let her know. That would be uh, just as, as helpful. So... Uh, we appreciate that. And, of course, tomorrow is the uh, community egg hunt, and all kinds of people from the church are involved in that. We do want to remind you that if you're helping out with the loading and stuff, be here at the church for 7. And then the rest of the teams, uh, you've been notified by Michelle about your starting times and where you need to be at and all of that. So we appreciate that. Looking forward to having a great time with the community. Just remember, right? Um, you know, this is all about connection with the community. This gives us an opportunity to connect with the community. That's what this is about. And so as much as we want you to do your best to do all of the, the jobs that, that we have to do tomorrow and, and to do them well, um, connect as much with the community as you can. You know, visit and be friendly with people you know, with people you don't know. Uh, just demonstrate to them the love of Christ. Uh, give them a warm feeling about what it is to be a Christ follower if they're not Christ followers. And those, that contact uh, helps. Sometimes it breaks down some barriers that allow us at a later time to, to share the gospel, either personally or even in a church gathering. So just keep all that in mind, right? Just love them with the love of Christ and be as friendly as you possibly can, as I know you will be, but we just want to remind you... Uh, about that. The kids are staying with us, and so that's awesome. We're glad to have you, them, with us today. And I just want you to take your Bibles, then. We're going to get right into the Word. And so take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of uh, Luke, chapter 23. And just kind of park there. I want to say thank you on behalf of our family for noticing our suntans and burns. You spend that much t- money, you ought to at least come back with something. And I do have a magnet for, for the fridge. It's the Horner thing now that whenever somebody goes away, especially somewhere warm and nice, we come back with the perfunctory magnet for the fridge. It, Kyle started it uh, a number of years ago when he went to Samoa. Uh, might have even been the DR first. Anyways, just he, he's sleeping now. He, 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 um, he worked. So um, he's too cheap to buy something really nice. So he started coming home with the magnets. And then it actually became a thing. It's a thing now. It's like it went from, hey, he's cheap and he brought us that. He says, well, you know, Dad, I couldn't pack anything big in the suitcase, right, because it would be overweight. And he's cheap. And so we started with those. And so 
I spent a whole week there. Now, there's not a lot to buy where we were, to be quite frank. There isn't a whole lot to purchase. But there I am in like this 85, 90 degree heat in this market with my family. What am I looking for? Looking for a stupid magnet. <laughs> Karen's buying a leather purse and she's doing this and doing that and looking at this and I'm looking. So it's, when you come over to my house, um, the foundations folk will be coming over to our house in a couple of weeks for lunch. So notice the magnets on the right corner of the fridge, okay? I'll be really disappointed if you don't. I think it cost me a peso. David, you'll be interested in this. Did you know that the Cuban dollar is worth more than the Canadian dollar and the American dollar down there? Can you believe that? This money that's worth nothing when you get down there is worth more than your money. That was a little bit of a transition. I mean, we had heard about it, but yeah, you take that money anywhere else in the world and you can't buy a can of pop with it, but down there it's like gold. It's incredible how they get you. A little surprised by crafty little communists. So you got to love them for that. Yeah. Yeah, crafty little communist. Yeah. In Luke 24, I, I wanted to approach the Good Friday gathering just a little bit different um, this time around. You know, I've been with you a long time, and there's been lots of Good Friday gatherings that we've shared together, and the challenge is always to try to say something, um, perhaps not new, but just something different. And, and so I'm going to try to do that today. And, and I want to focus on the period of time between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, I'll, I'll pick up the resurrection, as you would imagine, on Sunday. But today I want to talk about the gap. The, the, gap, the gap that happens when, when you hear bad news and... When you hear it, it has all the effects that you would expect bad news to bring. But then there's the after the bad news part of it. And it's not even just the fact that it's after the bad news, but it's, it's uncertain of will there ever be any good news now that I've heard the bad news. Because we always look at things from, from this side of the cross, right? We know Jesus was resurrected. Now, Jesus explained what was going to happen to him to his disciples about being, you know, put into the hands of sinners and to be crucified. And, and, and he, he did talk about after three days being raised from the dead. But you will notice when you're reading in your Gospels that there's a cloud over the disciples. They see Good Friday, as we call Good Friday, they see the crucifixion as, as, a, as an end point. A sentence with a period, that's it. And, and then they're into the, well, what happens now? This terrible thing has happened to this man that we love and this man that we thought had the answers for everybody and this man that we thought was going to do, continue to do great and marvelous things and now he's been crucified. And they're not like we are today. They thought that was an end. And they wondered how they were going to kind of pick up from that moment and move on after all that had transpired that day. And Pastor Sean read some of that for us, and we sang about some of the, the reality. So I, I have a slide on there before I read the Scripture, and it, it's, it's a sign post with, with all of these smaller signs on it, lost, confused, unsure, unclear, perplexed, disoriented, bewildered. And then beside that I have, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way about anything? 
But have you ever felt that way when you receive some really bad news? And the answer is probably yes. Where to from here now that I've received this? So let's look at the text. Luke 23, verses 50 to 56. I may have said Luke 24 before. I apologize for that. Luke 23, 50 to 56. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, the the religious council of their day. A good and an upright man who had not consented to their decision in action, in other words, to crucify Christ. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, the Roman governor, that had the authority to to grant to the Jewish council, um, you know, the right to ask for his crucifixion. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in a rock, one in which no one yet had been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Jesus had been crucified, and a religious man who was waiting for the kingdom of God asked the Roman governor, Pilate, if he could have the body of Jesus and place it in a tomb before the Sabbath. I think most of us in this room understand the religious rigors of the Mosaic law and how it was followed in those days. And the worst thing that could happen to to a Jew in and around Jerusalem in those days was to be denied access to the temple, to be, in a sense, kicked out of the temple. And so they were particular. They were particular in following the law, all of the requirements of the law. And the Jews had come through a period of time, in a sense, of national purification. There there had been a number of skirmishes with some of their their zealots, some of their uh, some of their faithful in, in 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 some previous decades at this point that had done their best to restore Israel back to the temple worship the way it should be. And so there those lingering effects were still going on and the people were very sensitized to doing things just the way the law had prescribed them. So, Joseph went to Pilate, got permission to take the body down before the Sabbath, but Jewish custom was was normally to prepare the body for for permanent death. And, And by permanent death, I just mean that the body would be placed in the tomb and it would be prepared properly with the spices and the perfumes and all of the, the rigors, again, that the Jewish people went through uh, with one of their loved ones who had deceased. And the idea would be to do that and close the tomb, and then that would be the end of it. But because of the time constraints, th- they weren't able to do that. So the women realized that it was too close to the Sabbath. Dusk was falling upon them. And so they were unable to prepare the body properly for burial. So they, they went home and they had time. Time sometimes is a weight that is almost unbearable, isn't it? 
they had time to think about everything. Sabbath was coming. There was nothing more that they could do. Preparing the body for burial would be likened to work. Walking to the tomb and back would be likened to work. It would all be deemed inappropriate. So they just had to go home and digest the day's events. Jesus had been drawing crowds, healing the sick and the lame. Now he was dead and buried in a tomb. A once rosy and predictable future now looked all too uncertain. Now what? Things didn't turn out as expected. Our friend, our rabbi is gone. Our reason for living, really, our reason for getting up in the morning was crucified and buried. We're sitting around waiting to apply the last signs of death, the spices and perfumes. And what will the next days bring? So looking at that period of time, that gap, that from his crucifixion to his resurrection that we know that's coming, but they don't. I want to speak to you as, as Christians in the 21st century about how to live in moments or with moments of uncertainty. So how to live in moments or with moments of uncertainty. Because we all face them. There are all those periods of time in our life where we come up against hard and difficult things, sometimes the bad news that I was speaking about, where it, it looks like our life is, is being tipped over completely, and, and that a path that we thought we were on, it doesn't look like we're on that anymore, and things that we thought were going to happen don't look like they're going to happen anymore, and, and so there's all kinds of uncertainty. We're just really not sure what to do, and we're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. So how do we, how do, we do with those moments, those times of uncertainty. So let me be really profound with the first time. Like these women that were getting ready to prepare the body for burial, sometimes living in moments with uncertainty means doing nothing. Nothing physically. Some of us are cut in such a way that the worst thing you could ask us to do is nothing. I, I don't want to take a poll here, but I, I wonder how many of us love to sit around and do nothing. Especially when we feel like maybe this is the time something should be done. And yet we're not really sure what that something is. These women who wanted to prepare the body realized that the Sabbath was too close and that they couldn't do that without breaking the law. So they had to go home and do nothing. So here's the problem with doing nothing, right? It's pretty much impossible to do nothing. So if you're sitting in your living room or on the edge of your bed or laying down or whatever it is that you're doing, practicing doing nothing the wheels are still turning. And we're thinking, and we're processing. And we're saying to ourselves, well, you know what, I'm not doing anything right now, but when I'm given the opportunity to do something, I'm going to do something. I just really haven't figured out what that something is right now, but I'm going to eventually do something. If there's been 
some bad news given to us, job loss, sickness, death, whatever. That doing nothing gives us all kinds of time to, to think and to worry and to fret. And so it's, it's not like we're doing nothing. We may be doing nothing in a sense that we're not trying to fix anything, but we're certainly, the wheels are turning mentally. Certainly the stomach is turning. The emotions are working very hard. And we're, we're, we're contemplating all of the possible scenarios, all of the things that maybe could be done or should be done, all the things that we might say or could say or shouldn't say, and we play it back and forth in our time in our head, time and time and time again. So these women have to go back to their homes. There are certainly the Sabbath day celebrations, the Jewish religious stuff that they're going to participate in, but they've got all of this time to think. You've got to remember, right? These people had lived and breathed with Jesus for three and a half years, give or take. It wasn't just like they saw him once in a while. You know how you visit with your friend and friends once in a while and your family even less? It wasn't like that. They lived, walked with him daily. They were with him daily. I mean, he was literally the center of their life and their reason for getting up in the morning. And he wowed and fascinated them with all of the things that he did and all of the things that he said and, and the challenges that he presented to the Jewish religious council and to the Romans. And they reveled in some of that because they finally thought that they were getting what they deserved. I mean, they just loved Jesus. And now he's dead. And, and tomorrow's never going to be like today was or yesterday was. It's never going to be the same. So how are they going to first face their first day without him? What's that going to be like when their center was gone? Wondering what's next or, or who's next. Because we know from the gospel stories that some of the disciples sat around in their homes wondering when there was going to be a knock at the door and that the Romans or the Sanhedrin Council's soldiers were going to come and drag them out and maybe they were the next ones. Because I think they thought about that. I think some of them felt that now that Jesus had been crucified, that it was possible that they all might die that kind of death and that the only thing that preventing that from happening immediately was that the Sabbath had taken place and it had offered a reprise on that because nobody could move around and do that. But what happens when it's over? Are they going to come looking for them? And so you read in John's Gospel that people like Thomas Didymus were sitting there in their homes and others for locked behind closed doors, right, for what the Bible says for fear of the Jews. Tremendous amount of uncertainty and worry and confusion and doubt going on in these people's lives at this time. They certainly would not have called it a good Friday. But there wasn't much else they could do. They were just sitting and waiting in the moments of uncertainty wondering if there was some kind of action that they could perform, but understanding that that was unlikely, but perhaps someone else was going to do something that was going to cause all kinds of continued pain or uncertainty for their lives. 
So we have to understand, folks, that sometimes in moments of uncertainty where we're not sure what's going to happen next, we're not sure what God's going to do, we're not sure why what just happened happened, that sometimes you can't really do anything at that moment. You just absorb the day. And you do your best to process it as best as you possibly can, but you absorb the day. Secondly, there comes the time when we we do what we can. Sometimes living in moments of uncertainty means that we prepare not for this day, but we prepare for the next day. It it tells us in, in Luke 23 that the women had gone out and they had gathered the spices and they had gathered the perfumes and all of that and everything that was necessary for a proper Jewish burial, but but they just sat on it. It was inappropriate to do it on the Sabbath. But, but they were preparing, but they weren't preparing for a resurrection. They were preparing for a burial. In moments of uncertainty, there are good ways to prepare and there are bad ways. We can spend time worrying or we can spend time building up our faith, reminding ourselves to trust in God, leaning on Him for strength and grace, praying for wisdom. So there is a day sometimes when we, when we are living in moments of uncertainty or dealing with bad news, things like that, where we absorb it and we don't do anything. But then there comes the point where, where we do what we can and sometimes the doing what we can is just encouraging ourselves in the Word of the Lord. Just taking ourselves to a place of prayer and reminding ourselves about God and His faithfulness we, we do what we can. It, it doesn't mean that we're trying to fix anything because here's, here's, the, here's the catch, folks. Many times when we get bad news or there's uncertainty or there's doubt or things like that, we, we, we kind of automatically kick into fix mode. I've got to do something to fix this. There's a situation that's out of my control. I have to figure out how to get my control back here and, and, and change the circumstances But what we learn here is that it's not about going out there and fixing things. It's about while we're alone with God, that the thing that needs to be fixed the most is not the circumstances, but what or who? Ourselves. It's about me. We don't have all the details. But we know that these women had a few days to sit with the spices and the perfumes and to process all of the events that had taken place. But here's the thing, and we don't know, but here's the thing. How are you going to spend those moments of uncertainty? Are you going to spend them by trying to build yourself up to encourage yourself in the faith? Or are you going to spend those moments worrying yourself sick? Because those are the choices, really, right? If the situation is out of our control, if there's nothing we can do to control things, to change events, to change circumstances, to change the news that we've received, then the only thing we can really deal with then is ourselves. What's my response? What's my reaction? How how am I going to move through these these periods of time of uncertainty. 
am I going to come undone? Or am I going to trust in the Lord that God, God's going to take care of me in this? It, it takes me all the way back to an Old Testament passage when before David became king over, over Israel, and, and he was leading them out of the cave, right? And they were doing the raids and they were protecting the land and, you know, a, a bunch of people had gathered to him, I, probably hundreds, I forget the number now. And one day it all went wrong. When David was out doing this with the raiding party, the enemy came in and took all their stuff and their wives and their kids. And all of these men that had gathered around him that loved him, that, you know, were his buddies through thick and thin, the Bible tells us that they wanted to kill him. All of them. That's a bad day, too. That's a day filled with a little bit of uncertainty. There, folks, there wasn't a single person in the crowd that had anything good to say about David that day. And the Bible tells us in another passage that David went out and he encouraged himself where? He encouraged himself in the Lord. We don't get all the specifics of that. But he understood this. Then on those really bad days, on those days of uncertainty, on days where everything blows up and it looks really awful and there's really nobody else to lean on. The safest and best place to go to is still where? To God. So I'm pretty confident, because the Sabbath has come up and it's the day of worship, that these women took all of this to God. The day just, the next day just lent itself to it. So you do what you can. They had the spices and the perfumes ready. They couldn't do anything with that. But they also had a day of worship coming upon them. And so there was a day there that they could use to ground themselves in God. So what is it the thing that you can do when you can't control the bad news and the circumstances? You can and should encourage yourself in the Lord. In the Bible, in the Word, in worship, in prayer, with the music, do yourself, look, understand this. That doesn't mean the problem's gone. I get that. That doesn't mean that tomorrow necessarily the problem's gone. But you have to do what you can do to take care of yourself spiritually because you do have to keep moving through things and not get stuck in things. Because the natural reaction is, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why did this happen to me? Why me? There's all kinds of people at work that should have got laid off or fired, but not me. I, I mean, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. All kinds of people that, you know, that should have got sick, but why me or why my loved one? Or all kinds of people that should have died, but it was someone close to me suddenly in tragedy. There's all kinds of things, God, that you could have done. Why me? Why us? But, but you can't do that, folks. You will put yourself in an early grave. You won't need someone to crucify you because you'll be killing yourself with that negative kind of thought, with that faith-killing kind of talk and thought. This idea that because you're a Christ follower means that you will have all of the answers is not in the Bible. And if it is, email me. Not this weekend, busy. But Tuesday. <laughs> busy this weekend. Email me. 
this, well, you know, because I'm a Christ follower, you know, God will explain it all to me and I'll figure it all out and I'll know. And then people come up with you with their dumb things. Hey, well, you know, God must have this or God must have that. And I'm sure there's a this and a that. And they don't know either. They say it nice, wonderfully. But I mean, oftentimes it just comes across as very trite. The Bible calls us to walk by what? Faith. Faith means that we are willing to trust in Him, not just when everything's going our way in hallelujah time, but even in, 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 in crucifixion times, in times of uncertainty, in times of where doubt could easily spring, where fear could easily spring up, where we feel like just locking ourselves behind closed doors and, and pulling a blanket over our head and moaning and crying and groaning, Oh God, why me? We walk by faith not by sight. And so take care of yourself. I, 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 you know, it, it helps sometimes, it helps sometimes to, to relate to other people's stories. Back in 2010, when my family doctor thought I had cancer, and she wasn't really forthright with well, maybe it might be this or maybe it might be that. I can remember the fear that I experienced. You know, when my, you know, when the, she said, well, your PSA counts 20. I'm like, like, I thought with a 20 count, you're already dead. And, you know, I, I, I finally go see, I go see another doctor and the doctor talks to me and, Explains, well, hey, hold on, you know that there's can be all kinds of reasons why that happened. So let's let's explore things. But but I remember the anxiety for a couple of weeks while I was searching for answers. And I remember some of the deacons came over to pray with me and for me. Craig, I remember you were one of them. Tim Pierce, when Tim was here, Tim did as well. And you know, um, but I, I remember the anxiety. Uh, I, I remember some of this. Um, I thank God that I, I understood the importance of the Word of God. So I, I was, even though I wasn't feeling very well at the time, I remember getting my Bible out and putting it on my lap and, and reading the scriptures that were faith building and hope building and, and all of that. And uh, but you know what I also found out, folks? Um, I, I, I'm like um, I'm a little bit like. You know, the, the colanders that you use to strain your pastas with. I leak. I leaked. And I found it wasn't enough just to encourage myself in the Lord on Monday. You know what I had to do? I had to come back and do that on Tuesday. And sometimes when I did it Tuesday morning, I had to come back and do it Tuesday afternoon because I leak. So I get that. I get the fear and I get the anxiety. I don't know if it helps you that your pastor gets that or kind of gets that because I realize no situation is ever the same. But, but you've got to put yourself in the Lord's hands. You've got to put yourselves in the Lord's presence. Folks, what else do you have? Where else can you go? Now, obviously, it turned out wonderful for me. There were other reasons why that happened. I also understand sometimes the news isn't good. And it stays not good. But you still have to put yourself in the hands of God and put yourself in a place where 
you can access God and God can access you. Or you will come apart and you will lose your mind. And you will be filled with fear and anxiety. And the uncertainty will overwhelm you. So remind yourself, where else have you to go? The name of the Lord is a... And the righteous run into it and they are... It doesn't mean that all the problems go away. But He is our safe place. Third and finally, how to live in moments or with moments of uncertainty... It always means this, living in obedience to the Word. This, this is going to seem simple, and you may think I'm overstating this. In the midst of the grief and their passion, these women wanted so much to take care of the body of Christ because they loved Him. And it was the Jewish thing to do. It's just got to realize, hey, different culture, different time. They just, those things mattered so much that it was done right. And yet, the Bible tells us, that they would not do it because the Sabbath was coming. And it tells us at the end of this, right? It tells us at the end of this, when you're reading the very end of this, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandments. They walked in obedience to the Word. So, when we're walking through these foggy places, these cloudy places, these uncertain places, these dry places, these desolate places, these worrisome places, these confusing places. What's your compass? The Word of God. How are you going to walk straight? How are you going to walk clear? How are you going to walk by faith? Faith comes by hearing and that through the Word of God. And so it's the Word of God. These women would not break the command. They stayed home. They stayed obedient to their law. They walked in obedience to what they knew. And we should walk in obedience to what we know and what the Word of God says to us. The Bible tells us not to worry, so we should not worry. The Bible says everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's either true, folks, or it's not. It's not true some of the time, and it's not true that it works for just some people. It's either true or, or not all of the time. But, but we have to understand to put ourselves in the presence of the Lord, to put the word of faith into our heart, and allow it to stabilize us even in the moments of uncertainty, even if the moments are longer than moments. Because some of us are on a journey of uncertainty right now. And you've already thought about this. You, said, you, you thought about this 15 minutes ago. Hey, Pastor Brent, never mind the moments. I mean, we've been walking this for a while. This is way past moments. But walk in obedience to the Word of God. Act in faith. Don't act presumptuously. Don't take things into your own hands that should belong in the strong hands of the Lord. These people rested on the Sabbath as it was designed to assist people with the rigors of the week. And trust me, these faithful people had a very rigorous week. In fact, they just had a horrible, terrible, not-so-good day. But they rested. And they had time to think about the Lord and, and to think about God and to worship Him. And yes, I'm sure they had a million questions that quietly they were, they were shouting out loud to Him here and in here. 
And I'm sure that they felt that sometimes I must do something. I should go to the grave. I should prepare the body. I should go encourage some of the others that saw him crucified as well. I'm wondering what they're thinking right now in their homes, locked behind the doors. And the Bible, the Bible tells us a couple of things first, folks. Psalm 46 and 10 tells us, right? Be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 26 and 3 says that you will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The NRI says because they trust in you. How do you live in moments or in or with moments of uncertainty or, or periods of longer? When you're not sure what to do when there seems like there's more doubt than faith, when all the news is bad news, when things are at their worst, when it seems like the night and the darkness will never end, that the dawn breaks and the light shines the next day, but there's still cloud cover on your soul. When you go looking for death, what happens sometimes? You find life. Now that is the rest of the story that I'll get to on Sunday. But the Sabbath had ended, and it was now time early in the morning. And they went to the tomb, and they were looking for death, but they found life. Let's stand in prayer.